always a pleasure to be here with you. I've grown to love, and I, I've said this before, I, I love Ted dearly, and I'm so um, thankful to have the opportunity and take very seriously the opportunity I have to fill this pulpit on occasion. Um, and also, I want to take briefly just this opportunity. Uh, I knew they were going to be here this morning, but I, uh, it's always good to have churches, local churches in the area where we can entrust those, um, where we can send others. And what I mean by that is uh, we had the bittersweet news of knowing that Peter and Christina Granderson and their children were going to begin uh, staying here in Siloam rather than travel to Rogers to worship with us. And um, it's so good to know that they're going to be here at Redeemer. Uh, and I want to thank you and I entrust them to you. And I commend them to you and uh, would pray and ask that you take care of them because they are very dear to us. And uh, I'm glad that, that they're here. Uh, if you would turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We've had the opportunity at Trinity Grace to be preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've had the opportunity, while Pastor Miller has been celebrating both the graduation and marriage of his oldest daughter, to preach through chapters 2 and 3. And as I was talking with Ted about what, you know, what I would uh, do this morning, what I would bring to you this morning, um, he said it would be okay to, to preach through those two chapters, and so what I hope to have done is to bring those two sermons together into one, and I, I believe uh, that that's okay, because the word here from Solomon here in the book of Ecclesiastes is very timely. Uh, it's one that uh, we all need to hear, we need to remember, and so I pray and have been praying that the Lord would open our ears and our eyes to the truth that is here as we consider these uh, two chapters. When I mention the name Tom Brady, many of you are going to know who I'm talking about. Most everybody will know who I'm talking about, even if you're not a football fan. Um, when we think about him being 40 years old and winning five Super Bowls and playing in eight of them and having uh, multiple, I believe, four uh, MVPs and 13 Pro Bowls, um, whether you, I mean, he's polarizing, I get it, but whether you, whether you like him or not, you have to admit he can play football. But several years ago, before, um, actually when he only, that sounds funny, but only three Super Bowl wins, um, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes by Steve Croft, and Steve asked him, or, or basically said, this is all you've ever wanted. To that, uh, Brady replied, it is. I'm making more money than I ever thought possible playing football. But then Steve, as the video goes to, to Brady playing, Steve says these words. He says, but with all that money, fame, and career, and accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. And Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? He says, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is... What it is, I reached my goal, um, my dream, my life. But I think there's got to be more than this. 
There's got to be more than this. And so Steve Crofton says, so what's the answer? And Tom says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And this isn't just Tom's problem, it's, it's our problem. There are vast numbers of people thinking the same thing and asking the same question day after day. Isn't there more to life than this? Can't there be more? Uh, you may be wrestling with that question this morning. You may have wrestled with it in the past. And if you haven't wrestled with it, chances are good at some point you are. We all do. And, and Solomon gives us the reason why. In chapters 2 and 3. We're going to focus mainly on chapter three, uh, 3 and jump back to chapter 2. I'm only going to read the first eight verses just for the sake of time. Ted's said, I've only got this small window that you're used to. But I hope that we can hear, hear Solomon say that there is a time for everything and then we've got a couple of perspectives with that time. We can either look at that time as being meaningless or we can look at it as a time for rest. So if you would, let's stand together and read from God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, we'll only read the first eight verses, but we will be looking uh, both ahead and, and backward as well. Hear now the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season and a time for everything and every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray together. Father, we'd ask that in these moments that we would, or that you would speak through what you have spoken, that you would change us, that we would be different when we leave. And I pray, Father, that most of all that we might see Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first eight verses of this chapter are some of probably maybe some of the most familiar to us of all of Scripture. Uh, some of us, I can tell by the color of your hair, you're thrown back to 1965 in the song that the birds didn't write. Solomon did, but they sang. Uh, for those of you that may be a little younger, your your thoughts may go to one of two versions of the movie Footloose, where. Um, Ren McCormick uses uh, a verse to justify why the people of Beaumont, Texas should be able to dance. But whether we think of those two occasions or examples or not, we're, these verses resonate within us. They resonate because they, they describe our lives. Solomon uses the term time, 29 times in these first eight verses. And 
we feel the rhythm of that poetry, the, the back and the forth, and he does that on purpose because that rhythm and that pattern help us to feel the rhythm and pattern of life. We feel that, repeti- that rhythm and repetition of life on a day-to-day basis. And, and he uses these descriptors in three ways. When, when we read through and we see the extremes, the bookends, as we read through these eight verses, he, he speaks one of the comprehensive nature of life. Birth, death, hate, love. I mean, you can read through those and you see that he's, he's attempting to encompass everything. Life and death and everything in between. But secondly, he's also speaking of the busyness and the activity of life. And we'll speak of that in just a minute. And then thirdly, he uses those, or that pattern and those words and those extremes to describe the up and down nature of a fallen world. So we have this all-encompassing life, the busyness of life, and the up and down nature of that life. And, and when we pause to think long enough about that, when we, when we stop and think about every thought, remember comprehensive, so every thought Every emotion, every action, every decision, every event, um, it can be somewhat overwhelming. We, we pause and we, and we can feel the weight of that. And, and sometimes as we think through those, we can think of, uh, thankfully think of some things and regrettably think of others. We can thankfully think of how some of those are unique and we can regret that some of them are unique. We can, and we can be thankful that some are repeated and we can regret that some are repeated. But again, we, we feel that rhythm. There are things that we remember, of course, but there are things as we get older, some things that we forget. Uh, unfortunately, more and more of those things that we forget. And not only do we forget them, but we can overlook them, we can undervalue them, and we can take them for granted. Just, just think of from life from beginning to end, and again, we, we can be overwhelmed. And from that perspective, we read these eight verses, and really, in, in a sense, we should never think life is boring. It's far from boring. And while there are some things, of course, that are unique, there are some things that we share in common, if for no other reason than we share them together, and there are some things that we share in common, but yet we still experience them at different times. But no matter what those experiences are, no matter what those events are, no matter what those emotions are, those thoughts or those decisions, it's our perspective of that time that makes all the difference. And that's really what Solomon is describing in chapter 3. He's describing that perspective. He, he not only gives us a back and forth in the rhythm of the poetry in the first eight verses, but he moves back and forth. Really, in chapter 2 and 3, he moves back and forth between those two perspectives. He ends, if you look at verse Uh, Verse 8, he ends, interestingly, with the word peace. Now he's looking back, and and, and the problem is, as he looks back and he considers 
all that's been a part of life, he realizes that he's experiencing anything but peace. There's a tension there. He knows that there is, there is a time for peace, but at this point, there, as he looks back, he knows that there wasn't peace. There was, he was not satisfied. He was not feeling significant. And he looked at the routines of life and the seasons of life that came and went, and he was looking at the grand scheme of things and really throwing up his hands and saying, what's the point? And really even taking a step back and thinking, is there even a great scheme to it all? And we know that because in verse 9 he says, what, what gain has the worker from his toil? There, there was a point when, when time and all that happens, for him it was pointless. And the question we ask is, well, where did the frustration come from? Why was he so frustrated with that? Well, we see it in verse 10. In verse 10 he says, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The frustration came from the fact that man had been created for more than just the here and now. When he... When he thinks about all that's going on, he understands that God's put eternity in his heart. He knew that there was more to the experience, more to be had. There was more than just the day-to-day routine of things. There was a a deep longing in him for things um, to provide or for there to be some type of long-term satisfaction, long-term significance. And it was beyond what he knew at that point, beyond what he understood And he could feel feel that tension. He knew that there was a greater scheme, but he didn't understand where it was going or how he played a part. He knew something was happening, but he didn't know which way to go. And so everything that he did and everything that he attempted and all of his energy and all of his effort, all of the resources that he invested in the day-to-day was insufficient to provide that which he was looking for. There was something missing. Is this all there is? Later he moves on and even gets more bleak in verses 16 through 22. Again, I'm not going to read them. I would encourage you to read them when you get home. He says, you know, to make matters worse... He says, I see injustice going on. So, so those who do good are not rewarded. And those who, who are evil seem, seem to go unchecked. And, and really, in, in the end, we just all die like the animals. I mean, it just, it, he just heads in this downward spiral. And so, so he comes to the end of chapter 3 looking back. And he says, so really, the, the best thing to do is just to enjoy Enjoy work. I'm just, I'm just going to have fun in work. And un- unfortunately, we get it. Unfortunately, we understand that. No matter, this is a, a Christian and a non-Christian problem. This is a, a human problem because we have a tendency to look at time and all that fills time and, and lift up our hands and say, what, in the end, what's the point of it all? Where is this heading? There has to be more than the day-to-day monotony of the ongoing routine. 
There has to be more. I mean, seasons come, seasons go. Days turns in, into weeks, weeks turn into months, months into years, and so forth. And we just we get up in the morning and we just and the same thing happens. We get up, we get dressed, we go to work, we come home, we go to bed, we get up and do it all over. We get up, we change diapers, we race off to umpteen practices and rehearsals, and we come back and we eat supper and we put them to bed and we get up and we do it all over again. And we just go, really? Is this really it? And unfortunately, we keep looking for the next thing as if that's going to solve it. And so, you know, we can't wait as children until we get to a double-digit birthday. And then we can't wait to get to junior high, and then we can't wait to get out of junior high. Nobody wants to go back to junior high. And then we can't wait to go to high school, and then I see Daniel, I think we can't wait to graduate. Congratulations, Congratulations by the way, and anybody else, too. I, know that. We can't wait to graduate. We can't wait to go off to college. And we can't wait to get a job. And we can't wait to possibly get married and then have children and then and then retire. And it's just we're just looking for the next thing as if it'll be the next thing that provides a significance. But at each step along the way we we pause and and it doesn't matter how much prestige or money or power or position. It doesn't matter. I was sitting over at Poor John's this morning. And it was interesting because I already had this quote in here. But I thought, well, I don't know if it's really appropriate because I don't know how many will remember her. But then I was at Poor John's and realized that they're still playing her music. Um, but Madonna said this once. She said, countless times I've traveled the world, performed in soccer stadiums, acted in films, dined with world leaders. I've achieved what's considered a very high level of success. And yet, I felt that something is missing in life. And again, you don't have to be a big star. Life magazine several years ago asked just random folks about the meaning of life. One of the gentlemen they interviewed was a taxi driver from New York named Jose. And Jose said, we're here to die. Just live and die. I drive a cab. I do some fishing. Take my girl out. Pay taxes. Do a little reading. Then get ready to drop dead. You've got to be strong about it. Life is a big fake. Nobody cares. You're rich or you're poor. You're here. You're gone. You're like the wind. After you're gone, other people will come. We're going to destroy ourselves. Nothing we can do about it. What's the point? In that same article, a comedian by the name of Jackie Mason said, Life has no meaning beyond this reality, but people keep searching for excuses. What is the meaning of life is a stupid question. Life just exists. You say to yourself, I can't accept that I mean nothing, so I have to find the meaning of life so that I shouldn't mean as little as I know I do. Life is a dance. dance and does a dance have to have a meaning? You dance because you enjoy it. You can hear the hopelessness. You can hear and see the throwing up of the hands. Steve Jobs joins in. 
before he died. He said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And then he says, he tries to make a, a good of a bad situation. He says, you, you trust something. Your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. And this, this approach, he says, this approach has never let me down. It's made all the difference in my life. I mean, he's, he's trying, desperately trying, desperately to feel good about his life. Though inside, he was struggling. And of course, we see it in the end. Wickedness goes unchecked. Righteousness is punished. Injustice is rampant. And we throw up our hands and we say, what's the point? We're all just going to die anyway. Some of you have been at, at that point. Some, somebody may be there right now. And Jobs actually came to the same conclusion that Solomon did. He said, uh, he, he basically said the best thing to do is just enjoy your work. That was his, that was his answer. He said, I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it, keep looking. Do you feel charged up by that? Does it make you want to... Go out and conquer the world. The problem is Solomon has already been there and done that, to use a phrase from a while ago. Back in chapter 2, in verse 10, he says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. If you go back even before chapter, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, you see he's looking back and he's looking at all that he's amassed, all of his possessions, all, all that he had, and, and he, he admits in verse 4 he had to work for it. He had to work hard for it. He had to build the houses. He had to plant the vineyards. He had to plant the gardens. He had to build the parks. He had to plant the fruit trees. He, he made the pools. He worked hard for the money. He went out. He had to go find the singers that he wanted to provide the concerts. And in verses 5 to 8, he says over and over, I did it myself. He, he takes pride and is satisfied, actually satisfied. He looks back and he enjoyed it. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like he worked real hard and didn't get anything out of it. He did. He worked hard. He liked it. Uh, it, it life, or work wasn't a drudgery at all. He, he, he had the reward. He reaped what he sowed. Whatever he wanted, he got And everyone would have looked and thought, that guy's satisfied. He's satisfied. He's got to be satisfied. He's got everything that he's worked for and he's enjoyed doing it. But look what he says in verse 11. He says, then I considered. It doesn't take long. 
He says, Then I considered that all my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It didn't take long. The newness wore off. He looked at all that he had and all the work that he had put into it, all of his accomplishments. He was reveling in, but only briefly, and he realized that all of that time, all of that energy, all of the effort, everything that was going on was nothing more than vanity because everything that happened was under the sun. It was all devoid of God. And he's, he's giving us a glimpse in these two chapters of what he's final, his final result in chapter 12. The final conclusion that he comes to. But rather than wait to that final conclusion, he gives us a little glimpse. He's, he's struggling with it back and forth as we all do. He knew that the satisfaction was temporary. It was fleeting. It didn't last. And he was much like Howard Hughes. Those of you with fair hair, remember the name. He set out right, to be, be the richest man ever. And he succeeded. He, it, back in 1966, his net worth would, would be what is now considered about $11.6 billion. So he had made it. But he was quoted as saying, money can't buy happiness. And that's what Solomon's saying this morning. Solomon, as we read, he's saying, you know what? Work can't achieve happiness. He's been there. He's tried it. And not much has changed today. We spend all of our time and effort and energy into work. I mean, it's the, it's the first thing we ask, is it not? When we meet somebody, hi, my name is, what do you do for a living? Our identities are tied into our work because we, we fall into the mistaken idea that it's work. That, that's what it is. That's the pinnacle. And it doesn't matter if the work is inside the home, outside the home. It doesn't matter if it's paid or pro bono. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a vocation or uh, even, even volunteering. It can be in the public or private sector. It can be a job. It can be a ministry. It can be a hobby or a pastime. It just We, we put all of our effort into it and all of our time and we, we think it will make us happy. And it doesn't have, again, it, like Psalm, it doesn't have to be a drudgery. You can enjoy everything you do. You can enjoy the work. You can enjoy the efforts. You can, it's like when I mow the yard, I, I love mowing the yard because I can mow the yard and I can turn, why? Because I can turn around and immediately see results. It's the only thing I do in life that I see immediate results. But if that's all there is, we can gain prestige and status. We can climb the ladder because we're good at what we do. And we can even look at our kids and they pass all their tests and they make right choices and they're great brothers and sisters and, and they're, they're the perfect teammates on their athletic teams in the city league. And, but there's just... There's something more. Because when it's under the sun kind of stuff and it's devoid of God and it's all about our satisfaction and our significance rather than the glory of God, it's vanity. It's a breath. 
And so it doesn't, it doesn't become long before we're weary, tired, frustrated, irritable. I see nods. You know the feelings. We get bored, we're in need of a change, and then we start living this if-only life. If only this, if only that. And I don't know about you, but I fall into it too, and, and I just get worn out. That's what it does. It just wears us out. Tom Brady's search, Madonna's search, Steve Jobs' search, our search continues because eternity has been placed within our hearts. But here's the good news. The good news is it doesn't point to our work. God did not do, God did not place eternity on our hearts to point to our work. And that's what Solomon says. It doesn't point to our work. And so just like in chapter 2, he shares this second perspective Look at verse 10. He says in chapter 3, he says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. See, there's an alternative. There's an alternative to seeing time as meaningless. He says, and that is that alternative is there's a time, it's time for resting. This time is a perfect opportunity to rest. Notice that the eight verses don't change. He doesn't list the eight verses and then provide this meaninglessness and then, and then say, okay, now the list is going to change and here is rest. No, the, the eight verses stay the same. Life remains the same. The comprehensive nature of life stays the same. The up and down nature of life stays the same. But the perspective is different. Because he says, not only has God put eternity on our hearts, he's done a couple of other things. In verse 10 he says... God is behind all that occurs. And in verse 11, he says, and everything that happens is done at the right time. And so, in other words, in our, in our confession summarizes this wonderfully. He's basically saying God is sovereign and working providentially in our lives. In chapter 5 of our concession, uh, concession, confession, says that God is working providentially to uphold, direct, d dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. He exercises this most wise and holy providence according to this infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of His own will to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And notice, Solomon doesn't say, you know, I've figured it out in terms of I know everything that God's doing as if his secret will and His sovereign will has been, uh, has been revealed to Him. He, he doesn't go that far. He says there, there, there are things that are hidden. Yeah, as the prophet Isaiah said, His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So there remains this 
secret will that we, that we aren't aware of, but rather than led to despair, Solomon says that understanding God's sovereignty and His pro, uh, providence leads us to joy, should lead to joy and fear of Him. And when we, and when we look to Him rather than to ourselves, and we still think of all that's involved in those eight verses and that comprehensive nature of life and, and the things that we experience, they're not only things that we experience, but because we look at them as what God does, we see Him at work. Not only is that what we experience, but it's something that He does. And we look at those eight verses and we see not only the completeness of our lives, but we see that God Himself is thorough and complete in what He does. Philip Ryken has said, God is a precise God. Everything happens when it happens because God is sovereign over time as well as eternity. There's a suitable occasion or appropriate opportunity for everything that happens. And this is far from fatalistic. There's a fitness to what happens because God does everything at just the right time. So every day of our lives brings a, a, an activity or an event or an encounter or a conversation that God is going to use for His glory and for the good of those who are called according to His purpose and, and, love, and love Him and are called according to His purpose. See, eternity has been placed in our hearts to point to God. And so we don't get over, if we're looking at that comprehensive and up and down nature of life, we don't get overwhelmed. I mean, we can, but it's possible not to be overwhelmed when we look at it through the lens of God's sovereignty and providence. And, and when we do that, it, it generates an excitement about all that's taking place. And again, rather than being led to despair, it, it gives us hope in the midst of things that are sad and negative. Because we know that He is at work. And that holy expectancy begins to take over. And we rest in the fact that He is great. And we rest in the fact that He can, he can and does fit everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly within His sovereignty. And that allows us to sit back and rest. We can eat. We can drink. We can enjoy the day. We can enjoy the seasons. We can enjoy, we enjoy those weeks and those months and those years. Because He is ultimately in control and we're not. And He has purpose in what He's doing. And, and most of all, this brings us to a place where we can appreciate. And brings us to a deeper place of, yes, of appreciating what Christ has done. Who He is and what He's done for us. I mean, think about it. Because we can be confident in a Savior who was born at the right time. We have a Savior who died at the right time. We have a Savior who rose at the right time. The Gospel tells us over and over that there were things that He, he didn't do because His time had not yet come. And there were things that He did because it was now time. The fullness of time had come. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
He wasn't a moment too soon or He wasn't a moment late. And just as He has always been on time, He continues to be on time. And we have the, the hope of knowing that He will return on time. He will come at the appointed time. And so we know as we rest in, in, in that timeliness of our Savior, we, we know that He is the only answer to Steve Croft's question. He is what is missing from Madonna's life. He is what Steve Jobs needed to trust in to connect the dots. And He is what we need every day. It is the Lord Jesus. It is our sovereign God incarnate in the Lord Jesus who has lived and died for us that gives us meaning and defines our lives as meaningful and purposeful. It is in Him that we find satisfaction. It is in Him that we find our significance. It is in Him that life has the meaning that we all desire. The eternity that God has placed in our hearts has been placed there so that we might be drawn to Him. So quickly, what, what does that mean for us? What are, what are some practical things for us? First, I don't know about you, but I, I want to live a repentant life because we need to repent continually of our idolatry because we continually look to other things to provide what only Christ provides. And if we're looking to anything other than Christ, we need to repent of it. It is in Him and Him alone that we find our satisfaction. Secondly, we need to live, live with contentment. We need to learn to wait for His timing. We need to learn to, to rest in that where we are, who we're with, what we have is what God desires. And we can rest in Him. We can agree with Him that what we have, who we are, or who we're with, and where we might be is, is all a part of His sanctifying us and conforming us into the image of the Lord Jesus. It's purposeful. We also need to live with confidence. Our time is in His hands. Limits have been set. He's determined the beginning from the end. And so because of that, we can live with purpose. We need to make the best use of that time. And we need to enjoy life. We, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we should live with joy. And people should see that joy. And the older I get, this, this, this rule of thumb is something that I've just been holding on to. And that is, as I get older, I'm realizing I need to be more intense about fewer things. And enjoy the life that I've been given. Resting. And then finally, living with assurance, peace, and hope. Why? Because we know we, we are going to die. We are. But we have a hope of eternity because of the Lord Jesus. And we need to live in light of that eternity. Live in light of that eternity. And if you're not a believer this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you continue to search for those things in, in anything other than Jesus, I'm going to tell you, it's all futile. It's all vanity. And you're going to keep striving and you're going to keep coming up empty. 
No matter where you look, other than Christ, you're going to keep coming up empty. And it's only the Lord Jesus who makes everything beautiful in its time, and that includes sinners. He will make you beautiful in His time. So may today be that perfect, appropriate, and appointed day of salvation for you. Come to Christ today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You do, through the Lord Jesus, You have and continue to make everything beautiful in its time. And we thank You for the purpose and the meaning that You provide. We, we thank You for the contentment that we can have and, and the rest that is, that is available to us if we would but place our trust in the Lord Jesus and rest in Your sovereignty and providence and Your care and Your love and concern for those that You have that You have called out of sin and darkness and set free. Remind us that every You have granted to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have given us Jesus and so there is nothing we lack. Would You continue to draw our gaze to Jesus and forgive us when we look to anything other than Him for what only He can provide. May He be our strength today. May He be our satisfaction above all else. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship as we sing, I heard the voice of Jesus.